Bienvenue and welcome back to the Land of Desire, a podcast about French history and culture. My name is Diana, and I'm so excited to bring you another year of stories about French art, film, literature, music, fashion, food, and more. I have a few ambitious resolutions this year regarding the show, and I can't wait to share all of these projects with you in the year to come. I've got my sights on the horizon this year, but to kick things off, I'd like to start with an episode about an unexpected discovery here in my own backyard. This Sunday morning, I decided to ring in 2017 by taking a big hike from my apartment here in the middle of San Francisco to the coastline. Once I'd made my way to the top of the hill, I found myself next to the Legion of Honor, one of San Francisco's greatest fine arts museums, and I decided to check out their newest exhibit, the Brothers Lenin, a trio of incredible French painters from the 17th century. What fascinated me about the exhibit wasn't simply the art itself, but the way in which the show explored what it was like to be an artist in 1640s Paris. What was your environment like? How did it inspire you? What dreams did you hold? What fears did you have? Who lived next door? During today's episode, I'll discuss the world of the Lenin brothers, and more importantly, I'll discuss a few of their mysterious neighbors, the noblemen who dressed in rags. By the dawn of the 17th century, France lay in ruins. After 36 years of warfare between Catholics and Protestants, Henry IV decided religion just wasn't worth any more endless bloodshed, and he put the mess to bed. He'd grown up a Protestant, and he spent years trying to assume his rightful throne as a Protestant, only to toss up his hands in 1593, roll his eyes, and just go to Catholic Mass already. Fine. In the interest of putting an end to all the fighting, not to mention protecting his Protestant family and friends, the new King Henry IV established a very uneasy truce, saying, look, you don't have to like each other, but you will respect each other. For the first time, Protestants in France had a real recognized status and Catholics were forced to live peaceably alongside them instead of constantly trying to, you know, burn their neighbors alive unless they converted. During the years of peace, and by peace I mean constantly side-eyeing, Catholics everywhere put their heads together to figure out how to save their church. Now that Protestantism was a legal option in France, how could they prove that their church was, in fact, the best church? indiscriminate slaughter was out. So Catholics needed a new plan. In the sleepy village of Léon, Isaac Lenin, father of the three painters, unpacked his belongings. The religious wars had not spared the quiet corners of the French countryside, and Isaac's equally sleepy village of bourguignon sur mont had found itself smack dab in the middle of two great armies— 
Anyone in bourguignon sur bavan who could flee definitely did so, including Isaac. He ended up sheltering in nearby Léon. But his journey to safety wasn't far enough. Two years later, Protestants had laid siege to Léon for three whole months. Now that the wars of religion were finally over, Léon faced a long road to recovery, and Isaac was busy with multiple sons to raise. Three of those sons, Antoine, Louis, and Matthew, spent their childhood taking painting lessons and watching their town recover from the damage writ by the Protestant army. By the time they reached their 20s, all three brothers were ready to hike out of their damaged, backwards hometown and head for glittering Paris. Imagine for a moment that you and your brothers grew up in the sticks, learning to paint with nothing but the artwork in your local cathedral to guide you. Now, you and your brothers have settled in the most exciting neighborhood in town, Saint-Germain-de-Prés. In their new neck of the woods, the poor rubs shoulders with the magnificent. Marie de Medici's Luxembourg Palace was just down the street, filled with Dutch and Italian artists and sculptors coming in and out. Meanwhile, the urban poor slept in the streets just outside. Anne of Austria, the mother of the king himself, had commissioned a new convent just around the corner. And in fact, she commissioned the Linen brothers to decorate it. Best of all, every February, the Fall Art Festival set up shop right on the brothers' doorstep allowing the brothers to see the output of all of Europe's artists, exposing them to new ideas and stylistic influences. It's no wonder that the Painters Guild had set up shop in Saint-Germain-de-Prés, with so many inspirations and trendy patrons nearby. However, wealthy aristocrats and fellow artists were not the only neighbors that the Lenan brothers encountered in their new home. After about a decade living in Paris, Antoine, Louis, and Matthew moved to a new home on the Rue du Vieux Colombier. If you've ever done any shopping on the left bank, you probably walked right past their old address. The Lenin brothers didn't live alone. Rather, they shared their building with their landlord, a man named Bobier, who spent his days weaving silk and gold brocade and spent his nights participating in a radical underground society, La Compagnie du Saint-Sacrement. La Compagnie was a secret society of Catholics founded around 1630 to, and I quote here, undertake all possible good and to ward off all possible evil all the time in all places and for all people. Whew. In other words, La Compagnie was going to do its part to prove that Catholicism was the best branch of Christianity by being the best branch of Christians, doing good works, loving their neighbors, and saving the souls of anyone they came across. I don't want to make it sound as though the Compagnie was always sunshine and roses. They were not exactly bastions of tolerance around their Protestant neighbors. But they were, nevertheless, a society which believed that saving souls and loving the poor was the responsibility of every Christian, rich and poor, clergy or everyday Frenchman. 
In other words, nobody gets a hall pass from doing good works, and nobody gets extra credit either. According to the order's rule book, secrecy is the soul of the compagnie. The last thing the world needed was a bunch of aristocrats showing off how virtuous they were. No more going around dropping pennies into the hands of the poor while your servants stand behind you announcing your good deeds with silver trumpets. No, your membership is a secret, and your good deeds are anonymous. No one set a better example for the rest of la compagnie than its leader, the remarkable Gaston de Ranty. As the only son of a baron. Gaston Jean Baptiste de Ranty gave his parents a heck of a shock growing up. Originally intended for a life of military success and popularity at court, Gaston had an epiphany in his teens. As Gaston looked around at the military school in which he was enrolled, he realized at once that his destiny lay somewhere very unexpected. His future was, as he put it. A complete conversion to God. Abandoning his family, Gaston married a young noblewoman, and together they announced their complete devotion to God. And I do mean complete devotion. Shortly after Gaston ditched military school and withdrew from court, his father died, leaving him with a large inheritance of money and land. Without batting an eye, Gaston set plans in motion to turn over his entire inheritance to the church, despite, as you might expect, the wishes of his extremely upset and very confused mother. While his mother took Gaston to court in order to stop this ridiculous handover, Gaston turned his attention to his life's work, providing charity and loving compassion to the poor. Ironically enough, the more Gaston practiced anonymous charity and selfless communion with the poor, the more praise and followers Gaston gained. Although, as he said, it is certain that the majority of our ills and imperfections come from wanting to see and be seen, it didn't take long for Paris society to begin whispering about the odd habits of the new baron. Donating bread to a church was one thing. But the young Baron de Ranty began inviting the poor over to his own home three nights a week, sharing his own table with peasants who normally slept in the streets. He was serving the poor with his own hands. What's more, Gaston de Ranty didn't want to pity the poor; he wanted to understand them. So he dressed in ragged clothing, he slept on the floor, he skipped meals. One would think that this would make Gaston an outcast, but instead he became an inspiration. All across the country, Gaston gained admirers and imitators, including noblewomen, diplomats, high-ranking politicians, all the way down to local schoolteachers. Even at the same time that King Louis the Thirteenth was walking around in gold brocade and sparking a trend in huge powdered wigs. Some of his companions at court were spending their weekends in rags, sharing a baguette with the homeless. The Lenain brothers, who were either devout Catholics or just eager to please patrons who were, certainly understood what their rich and powerful neighbors were doing in their spare time. 
take a look at perhaps the Lenan brothers' most famous painting, The Peasant's Meal. At first glance, this is a portrait of a group of peasants eating dinner. And I'll confess, the first time I looked, the only thing I found remarkable about the peasant's meal was that the peasants were treated with so much dignity by the artist. There's no condescension here, no sad clasping of hands at these poor, pathetic, downtrodden creatures. This is a group of poor but proud people enjoying a good supper. It wasn't until I looked closer that I noticed certain details. Those are some fancy wine glasses for a group of peasants. And that man in the middle of the table holding up his glass? How does he keep his collar so white if he's sleeping on the streets? Instead, it's more likely that the peasant's meal is actually a portrait of a compagnie member, inviting men in from the streets to share at his table with his wealthy wife and children serving the bread and wine. And, by the way, isn't that meal of bread and wine a little on the nose? The Lenin brothers didn't paint a simple country dinner. They provided a glimpse into a secret world of extreme charity. It was a glimpse at a generation who'd spent their entire lives fleeing religious violence, determined to try a different path. 30 years of fighting Protestants and heretics and atheists on the battlefield hadn't achieved anything. And now the time had come to try something new, conversion through kindness. By the mid-1800s, the world had forgotten about the Lenin brothers. A lot of their more commercial work, including history paintings and portraits of the rich, had disappeared into the sitting rooms where they may well live today. Not that it would have mattered. In Republican France, the last thing anyone wanted to do was sit around and look at a bunch of aristocrats. Having ditched their king at last, the French really wanted to sit around asking themselves questions like, what exactly does it mean to be French? In mid-1848, the Louvre decided to help answer that question. Packing away some of its European collections and digging into its own vast archives of French masters, the Louvre offered the nation a chance to revisit French art history 101. As a new generation of artists strolled through the reorganized galleries, viewing more than twice as many Lenin works as had been hanging up before, their eyes skipped over the traditional works like history and Jesus and whatnot, and settled on some unexpected little works. The private paintings of French peasants, all suffused with dignity and individuality. The Lenin brothers wrote one critic at the time, aren't genre painters, they are historians. Wrote another critic from the 1840s, since the brothers Lenin, no one had truly painted the miserable wretches of our towns. No one had dared to install themselves in the places where they live. No one, that is, except the wealthy nobles secretly hidden within those paintings the same aristocrats whose portraits in the Louvre were otherwise ignored, the same aristocrats who had spent their private hours visiting the poor where they lived and breaking bread together.
The problem with painting for a secret compagnie is your work is secret too. How are a trio of brothers supposed to make a name for themselves if all of their private devotional artwork disappears behind closed doors? These religious paintings were the brothers' passion, but their paychecks came from portraits. Anyone who can paint rich people in a flattering way is likely to rise up in the ranks for it. So it's little surprise that after a decade of portraying the fanciest men and women of the day, the Lenin brothers were becoming the go-to guys for a decent profile headshot. Ironically enough, the portraits behind their fame and fortune are a complete mystery to us now. Modern artists study the Lenin brothers for their dignified depictions of the poor, and perhaps the not so poor. But all of those fancy portraits? Poof! We have no idea where they are. The records tell us that the Lenin brothers painted nearly 100, but none of them have turned up. According to the curators of the Legion of Honor exhibit, they're probably scattered around dozens of grand old homes throughout France, even now, destined to show up at auction someday. Otherwise, they're all lost to history. All, that is, except one. Just as artists like Gustave Courbet were strolling the galleries of the Louvre, drawing inspiration from the painters of the mid-1600s, a young author decided to reimagine the sights and sounds of this same lost mid-1600s Paris, with its religious warfare, its young king and scheming advisors, its neighborhoods filled with rich and poor, with intrigue and mystery, with dark, winding medieval streets and bright, newly finished cathedrals. Digging through the city archives one day, this author came across the memoirs of an old soldier from those days, describing his years serving as the king's personal bodyguard, as the member of an elite troop of soldiers. Inspired by that world, the young author began searching through the memoirs for names to be used in his forthcoming novel, based on those of real-life members of this Kingsguard. Included in the archives were Isaac de Porto, René d'Arami de Vent, and Charles Debat de Castlemore d'Artagnan. Finally, the author needed a captain to round out these soldiers. Who better to use as a character name than the real-life captain of that king's guard, the Comte de Troisville? Back in the 1600s, the Comte de Troisville lived around the corner from the Lenin brothers. Whether because the brothers were all the rage in high society by then, or simply because he didn't want to walk too far, the Comte de Troisville commissioned an enormous portrait from the Lenin brothers. Nearly life-size, the Comte stands tall in extra deluxe armor, wearing red stockings, tall leather boots, and absolutely the most ridiculous lace socks. The commission represented a huge financial success for the Lenin brothers, and it seems the Comte de Treville was pleased with the result as well. In 1935, the Comtesse de Montréal sent a mysterious family portrait of hers to the auction house. 
Between the two world wars, aging noble families all across Europe sent their long hidden treasures to the auction houses, and paintings like the Comte de Treville's portrait made their way into the public eye for the first time. The portrait was, and remains to this day, the only known portrait by the Lenin brothers ever to resurface. For art historians, the portrait is a rare glimpse into the portraiture of the Lenin brothers. For French historians, the portrait is a window into the high society of a long-lost Paris. But for you and me? Perhaps you know the Comte de Treville from a little story, put together by that author digging around in the archives. A story about a loyal, courageous, and dashing group of soldiers pledged to protect the French king from spies and villains during a tumultuous time of religious conflict. A group known as the Three Musketeers. In our next episode, we'll take a closer look at that author, Alexandre Dumas, who was part of another remarkable trio of his own. Together, Alexandre Dumas, his father, and his son lived lives of extraordinary adventure, glamorous excess, and secret shame. Find out more next time on The Land of Desire. Thanks for listening to The Land of Desire. Special thanks this week goes to the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. For those in the Bay Area who would like to check out the Painters Lenin exhibit, it's on display at the Legion of Honor until January 28th. You can find out more information or see more examples of the Lenin Brothers' artwork at legionofhonor.famsf.org. That's legionofhonor.famsf.org. Don't forget to follow The Land of Desire on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and visit the show's website at www.thelandofdesire.com. If you haven't had a chance to do so before now, please take a moment out of your day to rate and review the show on iTunes so that I can help new listeners discover the show. Thanks again for listening to The Land of Desire, and until next time, au revoir!